0: Hi, this is Scott Shea, uh, author of ingoodfaith.com and the chairman of Signature Bank. I just had a great talk with Miro. I'm boss to boss. Such a pleasure and a great experience.
1: So tell me, what is idolatry?
0: Idolatry is a set of lies about power. It's about ascribing super authority or superpower to finite beings, people, ideologies, natural processes, or in the ancient world animals. So we may think we licked the God King Pharaoh 3,300 years ago, and we're done, but in reality, the whole 20th century was a catalog of God King Pharaohs. So how did Paul Pot and Stalin and Mao and Hitler? And the Assad family and the Kim family get away with what they got away with. Well, Stalin was able to kill all the kulaks, murder all the kulaks, send, starve actually a quarter of the Ukraine, send tens of millions to the Gulag, and nobody questioned his super authority and the authority of the Communist Party. That's idolatry. That's exactly what Hitler did. And they used the same. Stalin and the other tyrants used the same tropes as pharaoh. Pageantry, poetry, myth, theater, all, of course, backed up with demonstrations of brutal power. And if I could add one more thing, we tend to think of idolatry as just being on the macro level, like Stalin and Hitler. But in reality, we face idolatry even in our day-to-day encounters how did, let's just as an example, Kevin Spacey, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, Harvey Weinstein? Sadly, I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. How did they get away with what they got away with? Because they successfully set themselves up as idols. They were unquestioned and unquestionable within their industries. Nobody would question a Charlie Rose. If he no. did it, that was truth. And sadly, to be an idol, To be a God King is to be able to murder who you want to murder, steal from who you want to steal, abuse, unfortunately, with these smaller figures, abuse who you want to abuse and be brutal to who you want to be brutal to. And that's what they got away with. And it's not so easy toppling idols. And frankly, that's something I've thought about through my entire business career, because I've met. A lot of people who deify themselves. And I think it's a central problem in, in, in business, frankly.
1: No, you stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask who are real life examples right now. And you threw it out there. Is there, you think there's any that are currently happening that we don't consider one, but you think? Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, not naming names, but there are absolutely people out there deify themselves. I think, so let me, can I tell you a story from when I first started my career?
1: Yeah, let's do I it. I worked
0: at, I worked at Solomon Brothers.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and everybody, I, and everybody, this is Scott Shay, by the way, Scott Shay at, you can check him out at scottshay.com So you can put a face to the name if you're just listening to on the podcast, but uh, you know, without further ado, keep going.
0: Oh, and it's S-H-A-Y, by the way, for your, for your S-H-A-Y.
1: listeners. S-H-A-Y. Yes. Scott yes. Shay. Yes.
0: S-H-A-Y. They they miss they miss um they miss name Shay Stadium so and I complained enough that they finally tore it down. Um That that's a <laughs> great way. That's a great way
1: to remember it. I mean, you could do that intro everywhere, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um,
0: uh, I've been saying that for a lot of years, even before my book. Um but uh uh oh, so when I first started at Solomon Brothers, this is mm-hmm. back in the 80s. I used to take the Lexington line. For anybody who knows New York, I used to take this terrible line before they air conditioned. It. And one day, uh, as I'm walking on 96th Street, I, get, I hear a horn, and I, find, I see there's a middle-level bond trader who is driving his Mercedes and offers me a ride downtown. And I think, great, this is my lucky day. And he tells me once I get in the car, you know, any day that he's driving, because he's a pretty fastidious guy, he will be willing to give me a ride. So these are the days that some most of your viewers may not even remember, uh, the days before cell phones. So he would talk the whole time. And I learned his philosophy as a bond trader, which is, and as a person, which is the only person who was important was him. And to a lesser degree, his family. So. If he could rip off a customer or a client, he would. Um, if he could sabotage or do something to somebody above him, that's okay. As long as either he doesn't get caught or you can't, or he can keep it, keeping it a secret, or the person couldn't retaliate, that he totally crushed the other side. And there was no issue with with hurting other people. I mean, he was the only important person, but he wanted to keep on a persona. so he would only he would certainly give to the right political and charitable causes he would nod sagely when people talked about income inequality or any sort of any sort of uh issue like that but it, but he's he was a deity in his own mind mm-hmm. and i realized the more i was on wall street the more i met frankly a lot of people like that who when nobody was looking would abuse others when they thought they could get away with it. And, and it's still a problem with us today. And I don't, I think it's gotten better because just like that bond trader, he didn't want to break any rules because he certainly didn't want to do anything that would harm him, go to jail and right? <laughs> go to jail. He didn't want to be fired, but on the other hand, no doubt about it, he would get away with what he could. So today, I think the rules are tighter. I think there's clearly more adult and appropriate supervision, but there's still a lot of people who idolize themselves and try to get away with what they can get away with.
1: So what you're saying is the movies we watch, because I mean, I feel like there's a new Wall Street movie coming out every year, <laughs> and they're great. A lot, of, you know, they're awesome. Yeah. So a lot of them, are, would you say, are pretty accurate in terms of? The idolization and the power, and you know, taking advantage of the small guy.
0: Well, I don't want to, say, I can't say all the, some of them seem over the top, yeah. but I will say this. I worked on, I worked at Solomon Brothers in the age of uh, when Lyra's Poker was written. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it was written by Michael Lewis. And I actually, uh, it, when the book came out, mm-hmm. um I went to the bookstore because I taught one little segment in the training class that Michael Lewis uh, writes about in the book. Luckily, oh, wow. I wasn't mentioned I didn't do anything <laughs> wrong, but um you know liars poker mm-hmm. i think i think I think some of the things were exaggerated. Um, no question about it, but it certainly picked up a certain zeitgeist that was uh, endemic to the 80s on Wall Street.
1: And would you say that nowadays, is there enough regulation? Is there not enough? And you know, I guess that's probably a highly debated topic,
0: right? Day in, day out. So I'll tell you the truth. I think to a certain degree, and I talked about this in my Ted in my TED talk, which is that I think the problem with regulation right now is it's gotten too detailed. And people have lost track of the big picture. So if if like that bond trader, he actually didn't mind detailed regulation because if you could get around it and you followed all the rules. You were good to go. Mm -hmm. So I think people have lost track on the big issues. One thing that I, 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 I put into place at Signature Bank is that I started to see our standards of conduct, which we make all of our colleagues sign every year. They have to re-sign the standards of conduct, and there are a lot of good things. But this, because of regulation, this document kept getting longer and longer. So the thing that I Asked to be put in, and it's right up front mm-hmm. is that it's a that the documents say essentially the essence to standards of conduct is to follow the golden rule, as Hillel formulated it over 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. don't do unto someone else what you wouldn't want done unto you, the rest is commentary. Yeah, so don't do anything to a fellow colleague to a client, to a counterparty, to a vendor, to anybody in in the course of your conduct, in the course of your 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 employment and signature bank, that you wouldn't say was okay if it was done unto you. And yes, now you have to read the next 35 pages, but the rest <laughs> is fun. commentary. And and I and I I think people have lost track of the golden rule. And I, I I honestly think that's partially a function of idolatry, uh, being, you know, not again in the classic way, but being systemic in our society. Because the Bible, uh, look, I'm a believer. The Bible, the first thing the Bible says is that we're all created with the image of God, as it is in Hebrew, but Salem Elohim, we all have a divine spark. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that, and I believe that you have a divine spark, then that puts a risk. Resp- Responsibility on me to how I treat you, and if we keep that in mind that 's the essence of the golden rule, because the opposite of that is, well, you have your god king, I have my god king, and actually all I need to do is crush you and your god king that's you, you don 't have a commonality with me, yeah and i don 't believe that, and unfortunately, I think there are too many people who have deified themselves in their groups
1: and you think nowadays. It's, it's taken it, things are going up to another level because social media, and you got the whole like, who has the most followers, who has the most influence. And I mean, it's yep. just, you think it's uh, affecting it in a worse way, maybe? Like it's only going to oh. be worse before it gets better?
0: No question. And by the way, this was even anticipated in the Bible because David's, you, I, I don't know if you know the book of, uh, the book of Samuel uh, so well, but there's a great story in the book of Samuel, David has a son, Absalom, and Absalom decides that he's a little impatient for David to stop being king. So he sets himself up at the gate and he says to everybody who's going in, "You know, you're 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 good, you're great." I mean, he tries to be the original influencer. He sets up a ceremony at the beginning of every year because he's such a good-looking guy. He takes his hair and cuts it and weighs it i mean he sounded like the original social influencer and by (laughs) the way good way to do it (laughs) the way he dies is he gets caught in his hair in a tree but that's like sort of the profundity which is pretty ironic right yeah that's so social media people have been trying to do social media for a long time and again that's a part of the self-deification but it's it's really dangerous because it casts a, a, it essentially creates an a idolized version of, of each other. And I'm not a big user. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on social media. I don't want to say I'm not, but I'm, I'm not a big user of social media. I think it's got its positives, but you've got to be, on a personal level, you've got to be wary. then not get too caught up. Use it, exactly. but use it in a good way.
1: So use it instead of using it as this is it, this is life. Using it more as uh, co- complimentary, I guess, or yeah. you know, kind of you know being there at all times to help you
0: out, but not make it like life. Right, and it's too many people make it life, and I think that's part of the reason why there's a increase. I mean, the statistics are clear. There's an increase in in people having depression and other psychological issues. And part of it is because real life is different than social media life and social media life, um, can distort one's values. I don't need. I mean, this is something a lot of other people have talked about. It's not central to my book, but it's yeah. something to be wary about. So
1: a side topic, I guess that kind of definitely I'm curious about now is do you think it's easier for you to turn off when you go, like, say you go on a getaway or a quick trip since you're not as invested into social media or is it, you know, just the same, is it just as hard to kind of turn off, turn off business?
0: So I will tell you, I'm an observant Jew. So from sundown on Friday night until dark on Saturday, I don't turn on my phone. I don't watch television. Um, and you know, back when I, back in the eighties, this sort of thing didn't make that much of a difference. But it is so wonderful to turn off my computer before, you know. Sometimes I'm rushing. I, you know, I know it's sundown. I know it's about candlelighting time, and and I've got a lot to do. And I've yeah. got to answer some emails. But then once it's off, and I know that I've got a self-imposed time on myself until dark on Saturday, and sometimes I, on a personal level, sometimes I'm, you know, will rush you know what i know i've got things going on and it'll get dark it's getting late on saturday night and i'm like ready to open up and other times i don't even want to turn my phone back on yeah right because i've that's so beautiful. loved not being in touch and it's it's just it's just the greatest feeling so if there's one thing that's helped me mm-hmm. it's that and the one thing i suggest to people who ask me you know about social media and the like is I say, you know, it doesn't have to be Shabbat. It doesn't have to be the Sabbath. Pick a day and say, I'm just not going to be on any technology for a day a week or a day a month, whatever you can start out with. And you just find it so liberating. I love it. I love that.
1: So you do like a full 24 hours about, right?
0: It's about 25 hours, actually. It's from, it's from sundown on Friday to dark on Saturday. And it's awesome. so great. I like that. Just experiment with it once and you're going to say, yeah. "Gee, I really like that." And and then you start looking outside and talking to your spouse or your fiance or your girlfriend.
1: The other things to life, right? <laughs> the other things. Oh, that's nice. That's that I like that. I'm definitely going to look into that and I'm sure the listeners could uh, check that out as well. But in your book in good faith, um that yes. that's been out now and and uh we could we can we could pretty much uh get a copy anywhere right amazon uh
0: amazon over. it's on audible it's on kindle and it's available at good book at good bookstores everywhere i'm told And if it's, not, <laughs> if if it's, it's not held at the bookstore then it's clearly not a good bookstore tell <laughs> them to order it and then they'll become a good bookstore <laughs> this
1: is what they tell me right <laughs> <laughs> i'm just the messenger but uh so it, more in good faith uh it, it's kind of I take it you're taking your experience now cuz you've been part of Wall Street, you know, you're you're still there but at the same time you're doing other things that not everybody is. You know, you you wrote a book, you wrote another book. Yeah. You're you're speaking, you're you're giving TED talks. Um wh- where did this come like how did you you know, where did these two sides fit together cuz it seems like you almost did a 180 cuz you're starting to talk about, you know, questioning religion, faith, atheism. You know, you're throwing in some big taboo topics here
0: yeah well you know this first of all i think people should have sort of multiple careers in their mind and they don't necessarily need to be sequential so Mm i i i'm clearly very active in business i i you know started out the minute i graduated you know working i've worked ever since Uh, i've done a variety of things but I think people, and I think it's helpful to folks to have another passion and it could be volunteering. Um, it, it, I think it helps if you have something in your mind where you're trying to like make the planet a little better and it could be, you know, it could be doing something to uh, environmentally conscious. It could be in a faith community. It could be not in a faith community. So I've always believed that. And I like to write. I've been a writer. I mean, if if people on my site will see I've written about corporate issues, I've written about corporate tax reform and a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with, well, maybe they do require some faith, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But I really found a lot of people in the business world. So I wrote my first book, which was on the American Jewish community. And then in my business life, people started to come up to me. And they said, Scott, you, know, you wrote this book about American Jews, but why do you really care? Um, isn't God just sort of the tooth fairy and uh, Santa Claus and all sorts of other made up stuff? And haven't we outgrown this? And I was surprised at how many people in the business world, because I am out there, I'm, you know, I'm chairman of a bank, I meet a lot of people, how many people started broaching this topic to me? And it felt really, at first, a little strange, uh, because it wasn't what I expected people to talk to me about. But I realized that there were people who were saying, I realized there were basically three groups of people, two of whom were asking me questions. One who just didn't believe, thought it was all, you know, religion and God was the tooth fairy. The second who thought, you know what, I believe in God, but... I don't understand why it doesn't seem very rational. I'm I'm going to park my reason at the door because I'm a, I, you know, I believe, but I don't get why. And I'm, was taught in college not to believe in God and, and et cetera. Science, and then there's right? <laughs> science. Yeah. Which is a real, not correct. And I deal with this in the book. There's nothing in science that disparage God, but, um, And then there was a third group, and I was part of the third group, that I believe it's rational to believe in God with all we know about science, with all we know about the history of the Bible, and with all we know and feel about modern morality. So after a while, these conversations kept percolating with me. And at first, my thought, in all candor, was to commission a – I was looking for a book that would answer these questions. I couldn't find one. Oh, Um, I really, there's, I read, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to diss any books, but they all required sort of that you start out as a believer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't think that was a good, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll get a group, I'll commission a book with some friends. And then once I got into that, I realized that, you know, I think I can write this book myself. (laughs) And uh, that that started on a, me on a five year journey. I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. This was five years of essentially all my discretionary free time. I gave up bicycling. I used to be a uh, an event bicyclist. I used to do stuff um, that I gave up. I gave up a lot of you know a lot of communal work. Um, but I really thought this was like the most important thing I could do for the world, and so. I did it. And it's, it's, it's gotten some resonance out there. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely creating a stir in a conversation and it's, mm-hmm. and people are thinking about it. Um, and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm continuing to go with it and I'm doing a lot of interesting things with debating atheists, you know, going to Google. It's, it's been fun. It's been fun as well.
1: What's been like,
0: and I'm on Boss to Boss. It doesn't get better.
1: <laughs> you are on Boss to Boss <laughs> podcast. Yes. Scott hey, everybody, S H A Y. What, what is the most like question that you get after people reading this book? Is, is there some part of it, like, you know, the, the ones that are questioning um, faith and, and atheism and religion? What is the one thing you keep getting asked about? And it's like the most controversy now, and, and you're so passionate about to answer.
0: Well, I'll give you the question I get most from non-believers and mm-hmm. from and from folks struggling with their faith. The, the most common question is if you believe in a good God, a God that's all good, how can there be so much bad stuff happening in the world? You know, how can people get sick? <clears throat> how can, you know, lots of bad things happen? A hurricane that devastated the Bahamas, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the more and more that I'm talking to people, and the book tour has been great for that. That I'm I'm hearing people have problems. I mean, I hear a lot about questions about well, the Bible isn't moral. That's probably the second biggest question, and I deal with that in 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 section two. It's a big question, and I I think I answered it, and I I um, just answered a lot of that in a debate uh, with 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 Michael Shermer too. Um, but the biggest question is, is the problem of evil? Because in the end, I think most people get that atheists, the, that's the toughest question from the atheist for believers. That's really in a way, the only question we have to answer. Atheists have to answer a lot of other questions because really it's an intellectually awkward um, set of precepts. In terms of science, in terms of a lot of things, mm-hmm. but on evil, it's got a good explanation, which is, you know, life is random. It sucks. Get over it. Whereas for believers, it's not so easy. Uh, it's really, really hard. And I, I, I can. I'll give you just a taste of some answers that I give because yeah. this is really a whole section of the book. Yeah, because I mean, not, not simple.
1: It's not. And you know, religion, it's, it's something that's brought up a lot and people don't like talking about it too. I mean, it's, it's a scary thing, right? People don't want to, when you're dealing with business, you just want to think about business.
0: Yeah. So let me give you a personal story, which I think will be a good way of sort of answering this in a, in a, in a a way. So I'm the, I I grew up, as you know, we talked in the pre-interview. I'm the, I grew up in Chicago. my, Father was a Holocaust survivor. When he was liberated from Dachau by the American forces, he weighed 60 pounds. He had, and, and his family was wiped out. My, he, His father was murdered before he was deported from Sveksno, Lithuania. His brothers were murdered. His uncles were murdered. Basically, everybody was murdered. My closest relative on my father's side is a first. I'm sorry, he's a second cousin once removed. That's my closest relative on his side. Everybody else was murdered. Wow. So he made it to Chicago because he was fortunate enough to be liberated by the American forces after they knew not to just give food to these survivors because mm-hmm. would, they would immediately go into insulin shock or other, they couldn't digest anymore. So my father was nursed back to health for a year by the American forces. And then he went to fell to a displaced persons camp and ultimately someone in Chicago who had never met signed for him and said he won't be a burden on the American taxpayer on something called the Bailey program and he got to Chicago and he remarried and he had a son me and he and I it it was very I didn't and and this may actually be the beginning of the book I, I don't know but he, he, he was certain there was a God. There was no doubt in my father's mind that God existed because there were so many miracles that happened, literally, in his view, miracles, where if just something had happened so slightly different, he would have been dead. He yeah. would have been killed, or he wouldn't have made it. If he would have been liberated a week later, he probably would have all been, he would have been dead by then. If Daco had been liberated a week later. He was on the verge of death. So he knew that a whole bunch of miracles had gotten him to Chicago. But he was angry at God. Because how did God let his father, his brothers, his uncles, just about everybody knew? I think he only had one friend who survived from Svexner who made it to the made it to, to America. How did God let that happen? And so to a certain degree, that question has been you know, a central question I've been thinking about my whole life. And I talk about it a lot in the book because I do think it comes from, and I think my father's conclusion is, was that people have free will mm-hmm. and that it can be, people can be pretty evil. But if every time someone did something wrong, a lightning bolt came down and struck us that, there would be no free will. There'd be no morality because whether you're a believer or non-believer, if you know, you're going to get struck by a lightning bolt because you don't help a little old lady across the street, you're going to help that little old lady across the street, whether you're good or evil. And it's also incumbent on the rest of us. If we see evil to act that, you know, there were people who could have stopped, who could have, who could have, Done things to not allow the Holocaust. For example, in 1930, his latest Kristallnacht, the Germans were willing to let all the Jews go if anybody would have taken them. And famously, the Canadian Prime Minister of his age said, "No Jews is too many," and so many people closed their borders. And we know the story: of the USS, you know, we know the story of the the St. Louis. We know the story of boats that were turned back. So, it the, the the partially God is merciful when we're merciful God I believe gives us a tailwind when we do the right thing Mm -hmm. but if we do the wrong thing ultimately I think he steps in the almighty well, always not doesn't have a gender but the almighty steps in but not so for the Jews in the holocaust you know six million a third of us were killed were murdered not killed murdered but in the end, there was a savior in the name of the American forces and the Russian forces and the English forces, but you know, and, and the, the idea of Judaism and the Jewish people survived, but not without huge cost. Had people acted correctly, had Germans acted correctly for sure, but had even those around the, the, uh, the other folks in the world acted correctly and righteously, nobody would have been murdered. I mean, there still might have been a war but there wouldn't have been an extermination campaign. And so I think it's incumbent upon us, and to a certain degree it raises the moral stakes, because, you know, I think God believes in us. The question is whether we believe in ourselves to do the right thing. And it gets back again to idolatry, because how did Hitler get away with this? He got away with telling people to kill, to murder Jews because, they weren't human. He called them vermin. I mean, if you weren't part of the Nazi ideology, that's a clearly an idolatrous ideology. That you didn't count for anything. I mean, if you were not a Nazi, if you were not a good German, if you weren't a Aryan stock, you were not really human. It was okay if you would be exterminated. And that's why idolatry is so dangerous at a macro level. You know, I and I, and I think, I, I think you asked the central, I think that's, that's, I think those folks who are asking me that question are asking really the central question. And I, and I try to give them an answer. It's a longer answer in the book. Yeah. And I talk about natural disasters and other sorts of things, but mm-hmm. that's the primary question that p- people wonder about.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm sure others, answer it differently. And I'm sure that you, know, you you elaborate a lot more in the book. Uh, that That's, that's definitely a, a way to look at it. I mean, that's for sure. Um, I, I, I guess, and then kind of going back, um, this is where you got to from where you're at now. I mean, it's crazy how your experiences, you know, you started, started up a huge bank that's now, you know, a 50 plus billion dollar bank. Right.
0: Um, Just about 50 billion,
1: just about 50 billion. And then here you are like full circle. You kind of given back, you looked for something. So you almost started up a business within a business, right? You, you started up a business and then you started up another one while running a business essentially. Mm -hmm. And what, what do you think, how do you feel about that part of it? The entrepreneurism, do you, is that something that drives you? You know, is it for everybody?
0: I, look, I love being an entrepreneur. Um, I started up before this. I started up a private equity shop with my partner, Lou Ranieri. Um, so I, uh, entrepreneurship runs in, my, in, it runs in my blood. But it's not for everybody. I mean, you know, there's also risk. I mean, look, the bank might not have made it. The, the, there were lots of banks that started the same year as us that are no longer there. So you have to have the stomach for risk. And it's not for everybody. And I, you know, I tell people that when they, first of all, it's got to be at the right time in your life. At certain points in your life, it's appropriate to take risks. You're ready for risks. Um, Other times in your life, you might not be. And you've got to go into into a new business or into being an entrepreneur, understanding that you're going to go into a continuing emergency. You know, that that when we started right. up, we started up, you can't see my whole office, but there were about five people in a room, really the size of my office. And we started up from scratch. It wasn't a garage. It was nicer than a garage, I have to say, <laughs> but it was, it was air conditioned, but it was not big. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you were glad everybody was wearing deodorant because it wasn't that big. And, and, you know, we took that risk, but we, it was, it was a process which I of starting the bank, which other than Shabbat, which is why I'm so grateful for taking 26 hours off of the world um, to recharge. Other than that, it was full time. I mean, it was it was every time. It was it was a continuing emergency. So you gotta be prepared for that. And that's not for everybody. Um, and you know, look, there were days it wasn't for me, but I, yeah. I got through that too.
1: Yeah. And you said five employees, and now how many are there? We, we are,
0: we are about four. We're I think just about fourteen hundred as we speak. Wow. wow, yeah.
1: And that was since two thousand one, right? When you when you started? Yep,
0: we opened our doors May first two thousand one.
1: Right, coming and up on that twenty year anniversary, right before we know it. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Hard to believe yes, it is.
1: Well, now, now we're on to our listeners' favorite segment of the show. Welcome to the round with no name because they're all taken. All right. So the rules are simple, very simple. Yep. We don't want you thinking too much, but thinking just enough. We just want <laughs> you to spit out the first thing that you think of. You know, we we want to see the real, the real Scott.
0: You know, okay, behind,
1: behind it all. Um, this is
0: the psychoanalytic portion of the show. Yes, <laughs> yes, this is where we
1: get you know. And, and actually, to top it, you know, put. Put the cherry on top. My producer, Steve Wiley, he's always lurking. He he always manages to find his way into my uh, studio at my house when I uh, record these podcasts, and he gives me a very hard time if uh, if you go over the five second rule. Now, I have to deal scary. with him, not you. I have to deal with him. So so let's hope I don't have to see Steve. It's it's not fun.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: What is your favorite book?
0: Mine, um, in good faith. No, besides but in reality, the, besides that, in all candor, the Bible. No question, the Bible.
1: What is your favorite movie?
0: Oh, um, I would have to say The Castle, which was an Australian movie, hard to find. One of the best. Every single line is funny. I've, I've never seen a movie where I laugh at no, every single line. It's, it's great. Got to check that out. All yeah, right. it's great.
1: If you're gonna, but you're about to be stranded on an island tonight, and you could you could only bring one item with you, You can't be a person. What is it?
0: A good knife. (laughs) That's
1: that's one way. That's that's one way to do it. (laughs) Who has been or is your greatest mentor?
0: Lou Renieri. Lou Renieri, who founded the uh, the 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 mortgage market, uh, has been my business mentor. He's great. I, I in touch with him still today. How
1: do you feel about entrepreneurism? Is it a fad?
0: No. Entrepreneurs have been around since Joseph in the Bible.
1: If you had an unlimited amount of money right now and you could start up any business not your own, what would
0: it be? Oh, I'd start up a business that relied that was that was um, part of figuring out how to sequester carbon from the atmosphere. It's that's, going to be that's, that's a unlimited demand for that.
1: That's a boss. Two boss <laughs> exclusive here, everybody. That's a first. What is your favorite Wall Street movie?
0: You have to be The Big Short. Make sure that's a classic.
1: I mean, it's yeah. technically not a classic, but it's, it's, it's great. It's a good movie. Um, how do you drink your coffee?
0: I don't drink coffee. Oh. I don't drink any caffeine, actually. It's not a religious thing. I just don't. I haven't. I drink tea, but generally decaffeinated.
1: Is the is there more to it? Like you just never wanted to get addicted to caffeine? Do you have?
0: I used to be somewhat addicted years and years ago during the eighties. I used to I used to really like almost medicate myself with caffeine during the day, and I went cold turkey, and I haven't. I haven't. I don't think I've had caffeine knowingly since in 25 years.
1: What did, what did it change? Like maybe less anxiety or just dependence?
0: I just noticed that it made me a little jittery and maybe too quick to answer. And I like to think a little bit. And so I just gave it up one day cold turkey and I haven't been back. That's I'm not against caffeine. There's no, no ideology just, just against curious. it. But for me, it it didn't work well. I, so I didn't even have Coke. I don't even have Coca-Cola with caffeine. I don't have soft drinks. I don't have anything with caffeine.
1: So what is the one item then you consume every single day that's not caffeine that you oh. can't go a day without?
0: Well, I drink two I essentially drink two beverages, water, mm. um, in a non in a multi-use <laughs> bottle and wine. I'm a big wine, I, I love wine and Red? I collect wine. Uh, I, I, I like red and white and I like to try to pair it and I'm, I'm really, I am into wine.
1: And last but not least, if I came into your office right now and wanted to have a serious business meeting about how I can help you raise even more money and more capital and I walked yes. in with socks and sandals, how would you feel about it?
0: So about, 10 <laughs> days ago, about you, no problems. I just got back from a trip to San Francisco on business. We opened up an office in San Francisco and I, I walked into so many offices where the CEO was wearing essentially uh, sandals. I don't know it was about sandals, but jeans everywhere. And I didn't wear a tie to any meeting. I was for the whole week. I was, I think, I was the best dressed person in every meeting I was in.
1: <laughs> wow, wow, that says a lot. <laughs> well, I'll take that. That'll be noted. If I make it out to your office one day, With please do. Serious proposal about something. I don't know what okay. yet, but we'll think about it. Um, that's how I will. I will come, and we'll see if that if that offer if that stands. But uh, you survived, I survived, Steve Wiley. Well, more like I survived. Steve Wiley did not come out. I didn't have to deal with my producer at all. So we're good. <laughs> we're good. We'll let, uh, hopefully we you got your blood flowing a little bit after, yep. after all that. And uh, Scott Shay, everybody, uh, Scottshay.com, S-H-A-Y. Be sure to check him out, his uh, book, In Good Faith. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally just been a pleasure to have you on. Um, definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing what's next, seeing uh, what else you write about and um, thank you the mic the mic is yours if you want to have any final closing thoughts
0: no i i thank you uh, thank you i really enjoyed this interview it is it is a pleasure to be with you and um i'm doing events around the country uh, from time to time on the book and they can all be found at my at scottj.com i just did an event in la i've done doing something coming up shortly in connecticut so uh, i'm really and people can actually send me emails via the website because there is a contact form
1: yes and it's on Scottshay.com. you scroll all the way to the bottom right and it says contact me and you could uh, reach out to you with any questions and any burning desires definitely awesome well, it's been a pleasure thank you so much
0: all good things to you that is all for this episode of boss to boss Your next step is to visit boss2boss.com, where you will find proven techniques followed by professionals to help you make that next step. Again, that is boss. The number two boss.com. And remember, the time is now.